Hello, and welcome to the Player to Prospect podcast. The following episode features a conversation with Tommy Nicholson, who is the head coach at UC Davis. To support the podcast, all follows, ratings, and reviews are appreciated. And now I present to you Tommy Nicholson. I do want to ask about the journey from, you know, year one in coaching and kind of how you progressed, you know, from your first stop all the way till now as a first time head coach. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. I, I took a little while getting back to you, but finally, uh, <laughs> next. So no text problem. Always a little easier for me to answer an email that I had it in my to-do box and then, uh, it just kept getting pushed aside, but no, I'm, I'm glad we're here. So, um, yeah, no, it's, I've, I've been at a few different places, um, a couple places, a couple different times, um, started out as volunteer where I played at the university of Texas and, was under Coach Garrido there, kind of worked my way up to Sac State, back to Texas. Um, after Coach Garrido um, stepped down in 2016, that was a pretty uh, interesting time where I was kind of torn on what I was going to do. I was living in Texas, loved it out there. Uh, wasn't sure um, if I was going to be able to find a job, get, get back into college baseball. Mm. Uh, had some opportunities too, but it was going to have to move around. And just wasn't prepared, you know, having a young family. Uh, we had one, uh, my oldest daughter was two at the time, and, and we had a younger mm-hmm. one on the way. So moving just anywhere became a lot more difficult when you're young. Um, mm-hmm. at the, as a volunteer at Texas, like going over to Sac State, no problem. Like it was just me and, you know, no kids. And, and uh, moving around is a lot easier. And then once you have a family and have kids, then moving, there's a lot more moving pieces. And so um, Reggie had had the opening at Sac State again when Steve Holm left. And mm-hmm. uh, we always wanted to get back to California or felt like that was a place where we would want to get back to if we weren't living in Texas because we, we did love mm-hmm. it in Texas. So um, got back to Sac, was prepared to be there for a long time, and it ended up just being one year. Um, Coach Esker went over to Cal and uh, – that summer literally was uh, the moving truck was unloading our boxes into our house. And we we're actually going to live in Davis because I have family in Davis. Oh. So, yeah. So we were actually going to live 20 minutes away from Sac State, but in Davis. And uh, the moving truck was there unloading boxes. And Esker calls me. And uh, I got off the phone. I looked at my wife and I said, you might want to slow down on the unpacking and she gave me like this look that was like oh no what are you talking about so the life of a coach (laughs) moving around a lot um you know went to stanford and uh loved my time there everywhere every time i've been somewhere i haven't really been looking for another job i've I've not been anywhere longer than stanford was my longest tenure four and a half years and Mm -hmm. i will say i wasn't looking to go anywhere outside of my volunteer time at texas knowing that okay i'm just gonna have to try and move move around get work my way up from there at that time you know the volunteer role was not uh was not a position where you were getting really paid at all um Mm -hmm. yeah so i was definitely looking to get into coaching at that point but then uh everywhere else has just been i don't know i've never really looked forward or beyond where i was at and and then Mm -hmm. things just kind of came up and then um this opening came up in a very unique time. Usually 
all the jobs are opening kind of at the end of the season in June in the summertime. Yeah. Um, you know, coming off of a year where we went to the World Series and uh, at Stanford, we kind of thought like we had, we really liked what we had in 2021. Wasn't sure if that was the team that was going to go to the World Series, but we really liked our chances in 22. And then mm -hmm. to go in 21 with a lot of guys coming back, felt like we had a national contending title team mm -hmm. um, preparing for that all fall. And then all of a sudden, hey, Davis is open. There's some interest. And as I just told you, I have family in Davis. Mm -hmm. um, my wife is from Lake Tahoe, which is now two hours away. When we were living in the Bay Area, we were four hours away. Mm. So um, some of those things factored in for sure. Um, yeah. My wife is actually a Davis alum. So um, yeah, yeah, wow. it was always a natural fit. And, and there was definitely interest there. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. I mean, it sounds like the fit was certainly there on paper. Now, you and I can agree, though, that the opening, you know, the opportunity there, however good, you know, it's a great opportunity for you. It's also one that was pretty challenging, probably at the time. And it's still, you know, like, we're, we're not gonna, we'll call a spade a spade. Like, there's obviously, there was a lot of work that you had to do, you know, and there still is probably work that you're you know, there's goals that you guys have. And I even talked with Zach about that probably at length, you know, about, you know, how you guys want to turn the program around. And like, that's the goal is like, you guys are setting a, a new standard. So in doing that, cause I want to ask about that too. How does, how does a head coach like approach that to their, to their current team? Like as a first year head coach, obviously like you came in at a unique time, like you mentioned too, like that's pretty, pretty difficult to do. But once you head into your first full season, your first fall, maybe like, how does a head coach kind of approach that? Well, yeah. So just considering the job was, it wasn't like, Oh, Davis is open. I want to go there just because of those, the fit. Right. It, yeah. You know, looking at the situation from the outside in, it was like, you know, they, they had some turmoil and some things going on in the program. And it was like, mm -hmm. number one, I needed to find out like, is the administration, is there going to be support? Do they want to win? Is Are they going to continue to have a program? And yeah. so, because uh, I know from the outside looking in, I was like, oh man, what's going on over there? Like, mm -hmm. are they just going to get rid of baseball? And then talking to Rocco or AD, um, it was, I found out quickly, like he wants to make baseball good and he wants to support it. And uh, so knowing that there's going to be that support and, and it is a good situation, but yeah, it is kind of rock bottom. So they, you know, that summer before, so I came in in the, well, after the fall, uh, last, just last January is when I started. Mm, yeah. And, uh, they had um, pretty much everyone leave the program who had a chance to, that like you know, almost all the guys were in the portal and um, there was a very limited roster. I mean, it was, the roster was pretty much gutted. Um, yeah. I got here and there was, uh, 30, we had 30 players on our roster last year, um, but they had an open tryout uh, in October, I believe it was, late October, to just for anyone on campus to, to try out and make the team, just mm. to feel the team to be able to scrimmage. And yeah. so, you know, last year, very challenging year coming in, not having any time in the fall. Uh, it was only a 41-game schedule, a lot of schools uh, – non-conference had taken us off the schedule understandably so not even mm -hmm. knowing if there's going to be a season 
yeah. which actually worked out for me because uh, <laughs> we played opening weekend and then the next three weekends um, we were practicing, but I was actually in the process of moving my family here. So we were able to, oh, wow. some of those weekends to move. Um, Dang. And, you know, only having like one day a weekend, um, it was a pretty hectic time. But uh, yeah, no, it was knowing that we have the support here um, and we want to be good. Um, I'm the challenge is I enjoy it. Um, and and yeah. we're, we've recruited guys and that's one of the biggest questions we have. Hey, you want to come in? You want to build some? You want to be a part of something? Um, guys look forward to the opportunity. Um, I don't know. I, for some reason, I, I've I've kind of walked into situations like this a few times in the past as a player at the University of Texas. I was there mm. as part of Augie's first recruiting class as a player. And uh, my first year there, we were, I think we were the last place team in the Big 12. It was like one of the worst teams in Texas baseball history, unfortunately, but <laughs> we had to rebuild it. And then two years later, we're in the World Series. And then um, mm. at when I went to Sac State, it was a very similar situation as far as uh, the program had not had a winning tradition in the previous 10, 15 years. And I think I remember telling people, hey, we, you know, we've had one winning season in 15 of the previous years. And the first mm. year there, we were last place. And the following year, we um, were a couple innings away from making a regional. We tied for the conference, uh, won the conference, like in a three-way tie. And then um, Fresno beat us two in a row after we were in the driver's seat in the conference tournament, or else we would have been in a regional. But uh, yeah, no, I, I enjoy the challenge. Um, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, being a head coach is certainly a different role. Um, putting staff together that time of year was really difficult. Mm -hmm. you know, guys are in their roles and at their places, but uh, I don't know if it was luck or what, but I couldn't be happier with the guys I have on staff. Interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't even consider the having to make your own coaching staff as well on top of that. I mean, that's a whole another hurdle that you have to jump over in itself. Now, I do want to talk about, you know, using your prior experiences to apply that to today, because I was going to mention you've been a part of some really good teams, but I can also hear from your answer, you've been a part of teams that didn't start out so great and then worked their way up, you know, into being a, a good, really good or even a great team. Can you elaborate just maybe on your opinion of like what the big separating factors are between a team that is, you know, not winning games, you know, consistently, you know, maybe they're toward the, toward the bottom of the conference in terms of record at the end of the year. And then a team that, you know, is more consistent, always like competitive in games and, and finds themselves toward the top of their conference standings at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, um, sometimes those teams that, at least the ones that I remember when I was playing, we had a lot of talented players that year at Texas. We were really young, we were also really old, and we definitely did not um, mesh well as a team. There was hmm. just a lot of animosity between older guys, younger guys, um, guys just not pulling for each other, not pulling on the same rope. Um, and somehow that, that works its way into the game and the performance when I don't know, for some reason, when guys like genuinely want to help each other get better and want success for each other and have a selfless attitude, um, the team plays better and, and, and find, you start finding ways to win instead of finding ways to lose. 
hmm. when you have a group that I don't know, like guys are wanting other guys to fail so that they can get an opportunity and they can get their chance. You just, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, baseball is a team game. It's an individual game. It's an individual game played as a team game. So guys have to do well, but um, you have to, for some reason, for what it is, I don't know, Skip, it, when I was at Texas, Skip Johnson would always talk about the synergy, the synergy of everything. And, and hmm. the guys, in, they're pulling for the guys on the field. Um, you know, you have success. And when you don't have that, for whatever reason, you don't. But uh, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot of differences on every team. And I certainly don't have all the answers on um, how to make every team win. But I think the one thing that, that the teams do well, and I touched on, they, they're, they're selfless and they're close and they, they want success for each other is mm -hmm. just have a work ethic and, uh, you know, they, they want to do whatever it takes. And sometimes those teams that aren't as good um, guys hit that adversity and they want to make excuses instead of finding solutions. Mm. Oh, that's an interesting point you make there too. But I want to touch on that team chemistry aspect because that's kind of sounds like, what you're hitting home on right now with, with the team chemistry. Can you talk about how you're trying to build that team chemistry with your team? And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Zach said you guys brought in a, a good chunk of like new guys uh, this fall, right? Yeah, we have 19 new players on our team yeah. this year. Um, I think there was 21 new guys that came in in the fall and throughout the, the fall after the fall, the 19 of them are, are still with us. Yeah, um, 14 from last year's team. So we have we only have 32 on our roster right now. Um, for 33 on our roster, one guy did have to has an injury, so that's why I'm thinking 32 um, mm -hmm. usable guys. But um, yeah, that team chemistry is important. We that was one of the big questions for us is we liked a lot of the recruits we have coming in. We couldn't wait to get to work with them. Um, I think. A little bit those recruiting conversations that you have with guys and you just kind of start building that mindset for them of what they're walking into and what to expect but mm -hmm. really they don't really know what to expect until they get here uh, one of the first things we did and i've never done this uh, as a coach or even as a player but we took our team down to uh, dylan beach and uh, it's on the coast just north of San Francisco. And we camped out for two nights. Just had a little team building, team bonding out there. Played, uh, had a little competition. Guys were playing spike ball, cornhole. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of guys who are non-campers have to figure out, you know, how to, how to do everything. I, I had them do all the planning. I said, we're going to go here. Um, or I gave them a couple of different options. And, you know, they, they decided and on on the beach and uh, mm. all the socal guys figured out that northern california beaches are a lot different than socal <laughs> beaches <laughs> yeah so it was shoot i think it was 100 degrees in davis and we go down to the coast and it's like 60 and cloudy where you know you go over the over the dunes and and uh the ocean's like 150 yards away but you couldn't even see it because it was so overcast and cloudy on that oh, first wow. time we got there and the socal guys are just like at night and you're, you're barbecuing and you're you're uh sitting around the campfire just just building those bonds and, and uh you know being a team and you know trying to come together quicker so that was that was pretty big for us 
Interesting. Okay. I've heard another team do that too, about kind of team bonding exercises that they like to do. It's sort of like a shared experience, I guess you you could call it. Um, another shared experience that, well, this is kind of the, the thing that it ties into is like, once you start playing games and you know, you're, it's your team against the next team. Uh, can you talk about like what the scrimmages are like, or like, if there's anything that you guys do in those scrimmages to like build the competitiveness side of, you know, the kind of the team? Yeah, as far as our scrimmages go, I mean, it's a lot of, hey, get your work in. Pitchers got to get there, build up their innings. Um, but you are trying to compete. And we talk a lot about, you know, when you're in the box, it's that one-on-one matchup against you and the pitcher. When you're on the mound, it's a matchup against a hitter. Um, mm-hmm. It's a zero-sum game. The pitcher's either going to get you out or you're going to get on base. You know, someone's, someone's going to win that battle. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's you against him. Um, we keep scoring everything we do, whether it's scrimmage, whether it's some sort of batting practice or whatever, there's always competition and it's just fun mm. competition guys, guys get into it and, and, um, are able to, to talk a little and have, have the upper hand if they win. And, um, you know, it's just, a lot of it is in fun, but, uh, just playing the game the right way. Um, you know, and every, every scrimmage we break it down and, and just go, you know, talk over the the uh, points in the game where we can, things we can learn from. Uh, that was one thing mm-hmm. Augie used to always talk about. It's not a game of failure; it's a game of opportunity. And so every day, you know, a lot of times in the scrimmages, like either the pitchers are going to do good or the hitters are going to do good. So if like one side does well, really well, the other side didn't do as well. Um, but regardless, there's there's always something to learn. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's how we just keep moving forward. If we just recognize those things and step back and uh, kind of evaluate them uh, unemotionally and mm-hmm. um, just try and be mature and, and just get to our work and, and understand how to get better every day using, using that scrimmage is kind of like that, that test or that quiz, I guess, since we're not in a real game, you know, it's like sure. it's that feedback right away of how your training is, um, preparing you to play in a game situation. And so right. scrimmage, like, I guess that's the quiz. And once we get to next week and we're playing a real team, now you get real feedback and, and then you just keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. And like you said, next week, you guys, season started. So, I mean, can you talk about like where you guys are at right now with the team, you know, how solidified the lineup might be, just how, how things are looking kind of going into next week? Yeah, I think we have a pretty good idea as a coaching staff who who's going to get first crack at things. Um, mm-hmm. We're we're uh, I mean, out of those nineteen newcomers, nine are transfers. Uh, one was a four year transfer. Eight was eight were junior college, and then uh, mm. I guess uh, well, at least ten freshmen. So there there's a good amount of young guys on the team. I think there's going to be a lot of guys getting opportunities. Um, of the guys returning on the position player side, I want to say we have four, four that are probably going to start. Um, the freshman mm-hmm. of the year um, from our conference is our center fielder, Mark Wolbert. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he'll be right in the middle of the lineup playing center field for us. Um, Nick Lee, he led our team in home runs and RBIs. He's uh, he's probably going to be in the middle of the lineup somewhere. He played shortstop last year for us. He probably profiles more as a corner guy. Mm-hmm. Um, He'll fit somewhere, somewhere on the corner. We have some versatility uh, when we do those scrimmages. Most every guy's 
has at least two positions. So we're moving them around a lot, getting mm -hmm. guys to play secondary because, uh, I mean, if, if you hit and your bat plays like, you know, you try and make a spot for someone. If And so if you have multiple spots you can play, it just gives you more flexibility. Totally. Um, one of the other returns we have is a guy named Nick Iverson who got hurt late last year. Mm -hmm. We were at Stanford and he was playing left field, jumped for a ball, came down awkwardly and uh, ended up spraining his knee, did not have to have surgery, but he missed the last, I think, four weeks of the season. Mm -hmm. um, didn't play summer ball, but he's been back healthy. He is kind of the, the energy and heart and soul of our team on the field. He just plays with so much fire. Um, mm. But he can play anywhere. I mean, he is probably our backup shortstop, um, backup third baseman, second baseman, or I mean, I'm probably going to start him at third base, probably start him at right field or left field at some point in this year, probably start him at short at some point. Um, just a really mm. versatile player. He'll probably hit near the top of the lineup uh, to start. I think we'll probably have him in the two hole. Um, and then the other returner is a guy named James Williams, who had a really solid season offensively last year's, you know, walk to strikeout guy of like, even, I think it was even walks to strikeouts. So it's a tough at bat switch oh, well, yeah. that can, uh, you know, give you some flexibility in your lineup, but then, you know, then it's a lot of unproven after that. I mean, mm -hmm. um, just unproven, but four junior college guys will probably get the first crack and, and one freshman in the lineup. And then uh, a couple returning pitchers will start on the weekends for us. And then it's some new guys. And, yeah. That's exciting, though. It's definitely exciting. That untapped potential. It's exciting. We, we yeah. Are, can't wait to to see where we're at and, mm -hmm. and what we need to do, what adjustments we need to make, and and how we can get better. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely heard the saying that this is also a game of adjustments. You know, like you're talking about how it's not a game of failure, game of opportunity, and it's an opportunity to make the adjustments. Absolutely. So, I mean, like you said, you got to see where you're at first, and then you know, go from there. But I do want to talk a little bit about those older guys, the returners that uh, you touched on, you know, you, you named, you know, specifically, do you like to give those guys some of like the reins in terms of the responsibilities and like sort of um, how to lead the team or uh, maybe help the younger guys out? Yeah. With so much um, turnover on the roster and so many new guys, especially in the fall, we actually had, uh, we had divided them into, I think we had 36 guys in the fall. We had put mm -hmm. them in, groups of six and made a group leader for each group mm. and they're responsible for different things and we had competition but um trying to kind of give them that responsibility and kind of empower them a little bit to to be responsible not only for themselves but for some teammates and so some of those guys that we made leaders um weren't necessarily guys that you would be like hey that, that's a leader on our team but it might have been someone that i'm like this is going to help him learn how to be a leader, get mm. him outside of himself. Um, you know, sometimes I think guys uh, get real wrapped up in their own personal stuff, success, failure, whatever development. It's just everything's personal. And I think um, some sometimes those guys would, can really benefit from mentoring someone else on the team and helping someone else. Mm. We're doing a uh, – a little league camp this weekend. We did one last couple of nights with the local little leagues. And I really think that when guys are coaching those little kids, it helps mm -hmm. them because they're, they're coaching, they're, they're using all the same stuff that they've learned from us and from the coaches they've had in the past. And 
and they're having to articulate it and relay that information to someone else. Mm. And now it's in a different role and they hear it differently. I mean, I know when I started coaching, it was like, God, I wish I knew that when I played. And so yeah. if you can get guys to, to do a little bit of that when they're playing and they're still playing, they might be like, oh, shoot, maybe I'll try this and that. And it, it just helps elevate them. That's interesting. I always feel like whenever I try to teach someone something, I actually learn it again and in a better way. That's so funny no you mentioned that. No doubt about it. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask about, shoot, what did I want to ask? I completely blanked on my question. I do this all the time. But anyway, um. We already talked about the pitching staff. I, I did want to talk a little bit about this uh, like old school mentality because um, you mentioned uh, a little bit about like being competitive and like always keeping track of stuff. And like you can look at numbers and, you know, that's fine. I'm sure you guys use technology to some degree, but I talked with Zach, you know, he, he said that he's very much more old school. He talked about the bulldog mentality of a pitcher. Do you guys kind of take that same approach on the offensive side? I would say so. It's probably more so that way. Um, yeah. But you know, we'll we'll use the blast sensors to get information. We have the Rapsodo uh, out there for the pitchers and the hitters every scrimmage. So we're mm -hmm. we're collecting information. We're collecting the data. Uh, we'll we'll use video. Um, I think it's really important that as a coach, you're versed in everything that's going on, all the information, all the ways mm -hmm. that guys are learning and teaching. Um, there are a lot of different ways, and, and you definitely see those those battles on social media of guys arguing which way is right, which way is wrong. Well, hey, I, I don't know. I, I think it's important for us to know all of it, and, and it might one thing might work for someone, and another thing might work for someone else. Um, mm -hmm. But as far as the analytics go, I think it's really important. I, I, I've always been kind of a baseball stat nerd, I guess, and love looking at MLB stats and numbers and reading up on fan graphs and, and breaking down lineups and lineup construction. And mm. uh, I think it, those are, there's a lot of good things and a lot of ways, uh, information that guys can use to um, develop their game offensively. You might be able to, to see something a little bit quicker by looking at, you know, some heat maps or some numbers on things um, in addition to what your eyes already tell you. Mm -hmm. um, but there's that balance when you're coaching to, um, get that guy to step in the box with just confidence and get the barrel of the baseball. Because at the end of the mm -hmm. day, like you can have a great swing. If you're not squaring up the baseball, it's, you're not going to hit the ball hard. You're not going to hit the ball at the angle you want to hit the ball. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to be good at um, old school stuff, just squaring up the baseball. And as a hitter, yeah. you're reacting, you know, you can't, you can't dictate where that pitcher's throwing it. Um, but that being said, I always tell her, like, even though you're reacting and the pitcher is the one starting the action, you mm -hmm. get to dictate the action as a hitter because you get to decide whether or not to swing. Mm -hmm. And you're the one yeah. that's actually hitting it or not. You're the one that decides if I'm going to hit this ball in the air or hit it on the ground or hit it on the line. Now, maybe it's not a conscious decision as much as it is um, a result of how you get to the ball. Um, but yeah. you, you are the one as a hitter that's dictating that. And um, so even though, because once, you know, the pitcher dictate or starts the action, but he can make a great pitch and we can still hit it 
and they can be frustrated or we can lay off that one. Uh, I've seen mm-hmm. so many pitchers make pitches in the pen. They're like, oh, that's nasty swing at that. And it's like, all right, well, if the, a good hitter doesn't swing at it, now what do you do? <laughs> like, you're not, yeah, going, it's a ball. <laughs> not right. Yeah, it's a ball. Now it's, you know, you're in that two, one count as a hitter, you're advantageous versus the hitter versus the pitcher being um, in a leverage position. Yeah. So to kind of hone in on like the, that development side, like that player development side, I think this is where I wanted to go to before um, you kind of have to also balance like uh, team stuff and then also individual development. So can you elaborate a little bit on like how you kind of distinct from the two or like, do you like to mesh those in? Cause there's obviously a time and place where you're competing. It's probably scrimmages. You're competing. You're not worrying about the numbers or anything like that, but then it's also you know, I would assume pretty important to, you know, try to work, you know, skill build and, and work on your own individual development as well. No, that's a really good point. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. You probably, I don't know if you, if Zach brought it up the way we're scripting our practices and how we're doing it, but Mm. um, leading up to the season right now, we're, we're on that Friday, Saturday, Sunday scrimmage schedule where Mm -hmm. we're getting ready for, you know, our pitchers to pitch on those days since that's what, that's when we play. And so we use those days as our team days. It's like, hey, we're going to go four hours each of those days. We're allowed 20 hours in a week. And we're going to go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, four hours. Whether or not our scrimmage is going to last four hours, we're going to use that time together to do team, team stuff. Mm. You know, and then the Monday through Thursday, we'll take one of those days off. The day we're not lifting will be our off day. And then the other three days, it's going to be skill development, individual development. Um, it's going to be a, a batting practice, but it's focused. You guys are working on their skill. Um, mm. and, and really, we, the last few weeks, it's been pretty loose and relaxed. Um, it's basically, it's shorts for BP and ground balls. If you've got uh, extra schoolwork and classwork to get done, take that time and go do it. Come in and get your skill work around it. So we really... Mm um kind of separated the two a lot um especially having to balance out that uh academic side of it is uh Mm -hmm. something i wanted to make sure that our guys had enough time during the week to do that i know sometimes it can get pretty overwhelming when you have school weights and a full practice during the week Mm -hmm. yeah we're focused we're focused team-wise on the weekends okay that's interesting i don't think i've ever heard or at least not so far of a, of a structure of that kind, you know, of that caliber. Um, you mentioned BP. I wanted to ask one question about BP because some coaches um, have been talking about that on here um, with regard to specializing, you know, uh, kind of individualizing, I guess, for the player, giving different players different sort of objectives for their BP. And then there's other teams where, again, a little more old school, right? Like, all right, this first round's away, this second round's away, the third round's pull or middle or whatever whatever you have it, right? So at least for you, like, what do you prefer for your team on the BP side of things? So most of our guys, they, throughout the fall and as we move forward, they're in constant communication with um, Sky and Andrew, our, our hitting coaches and myself. Um, Andrew and Sky converse all the time about hitters, um, but Andrew and Sky are the guys that are mostly doing delivering the message um, mm-hmm. as I'm kind of overseeing and kind of everything, but um, I'm letting those guys kind of deliver that message. Um, so 
the hitters individually know kind of what their objectives are, what their plan, what their purpose is, where they're at, and, and it kind of evolves mm. over time as they start to work on their weaknesses and, and continue to build their strengths, those kinds of things. On the, when you get on the field, that's when it's just like, hey, we're competing. If we've got a live arm out there and we're throwing BP uh, from one of the coaches, a lot of we're throwing in a lot of mixed stuff, um, mm -hmm. or we're going a lot of machine. Um, the last couple of weeks we've been doing machine work. We'll, we'll put basketball breaking balls and just mixing it up, giving guys different looks, trying to mm. change speeds, change spin and shape of pitches, challenging them to when you're out on the field, it's, it's a lot of challenge um, to where it's not the typical success that you're going to have off of, you know, 50 mile an hour batting practice that's straight, um, that they're going to get plenty of once we go into games, because we'll, we'll continue to do a lot of that on game day within a lot of other stuff with some execution rounds with, you know, some mixed rounds and things like that. Sure. So let's talk about going into the season then how that, that might change. Cause obviously, you know, it's four games a week and it's a totally different ball or atmosphere, I should say, um, compared to where you guys are at currently. Um, can you just talk a little bit about like how you maybe prepare for a weekend series? Yeah, I mean, on the coaching side, there's a ton of scouting, uh, watching, mm -hmm. watching synergy, watching our opponents, the hitters, the pitchers. So that's a huge part of it. As far as on the player side, um, I mean, at least after this weekend, this weekend and going into the week, it's like, hey, let's just go into the season healthy. So it's, yeah. it's going to be a little bit more. We, we've we been going at it for a little while now. We should be pretty close to ready. I'm not going to all of a sudden uh, cram for the test and try and do a million different things because, oh, we got to all of a sudden get good at doing pop-ups or first and thirds or bunties, which we've, we've touched on a lot. And we'll be mm -hmm. able to get those. But during the season, it's about making those adjustments, um, yep. taking that feedback you got over the weekend, learning from that um learning you know who we are but then you know you got to nurse the injuries at times and make those adjustments and get guys maybe moving around into different spots there's always those challenges there's mm -hmm. so many different things that come up but yeah it is about adjusting and also preparing and continuing to develop um mm -hmm. one of the things that i i felt or i've always felt with guys is that that team chemistry part always becomes a little bit different once you start playing games and now in scrimmages, everyone gets to play, but now you're playing games and you've got a handful of guys that aren't playing as much as they would like. And, and how do you keep um, everyone pulling on the same rope? That that becomes a different challenge as well. I was going to ask about that because, like you said, there's going to be guys that just aren't getting the time that, you know, they either that they feel they deserve or that they would like, but that's just the nature of the beast. So at least for in season, is there a game plan for that? Like getting the guys who aren't playing as much little bit you know time uh during those practice days to face some hitters same with the, the hitters to face some arms i mean what's the game plan there yeah we talked about that i don't know what uh exactly we're going to do probably probably see what what the games tell us um and then mm. if if we see some guys that aren't getting in there as much uh yeah getting getting those guys some innings if it's on the mound or getting them some at bats off of those pitchers that aren't um, on on that off day, maybe their off day is a different day, um, and, mm -hmm. and they 
play on, you know, just between those guys, uh, pitcher hitter type stuff, sim game type stuff that yeah. you, you do in pro ball, you know, um, something like that. But, you know, keeping them uh, continuing to work and develop. Uh, one of the things Coach Esker Sanford is one of his sayings is work while you wait. And so, you mm -hmm. know, if you don't like where you're at uh, or, you know, if someone's ahead of you, I mean, no one likes sitting on the bench. So if you want to get in there, keep working. And so there, like I said, injuries do happen. Guys do struggle. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe matchups start to, um, you start to see what guys struggle against other guys and then you give someone else a chance. So if you have that guy on, on the bench that's been working and, and being ready, um, he'll be ready for an opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember Carter Graham at Stanford, his freshman mm -hmm. year was he was ready to play, but we were just deep and had had some older guys ahead of him. Uh, if Nick Bruiser had not gotten hot uh, in week three or four, whatever it was, Carter was probably going to get a shot. And then Bruiser, he had a good weekend and, and got mm -hmm. some more rope and then went off and, and had a continued to have a strong year the whole year. But he was off to a slow start and Carter was sitting there ready to go. And he was he was good. And he, he worked and he worked. He ended up we threw him in there on a. I must have been a Friday night against uh, Abel or someone, a tough matchup, but he had been ready mm -hmm. for it and he took good quality at bats. But I mean, that may not have been the situation he wanted to be in that season, mm -hmm. but man, the, the way he worked and the maturity he handled that role with prepared him for what he did last year. And the guy's a preseason all American now because of yeah. you know how good he did last year. So, um, you know, you just try and, remind guys like, you know, it, that delayed gratification sometimes is going to be sweeter than mm. just getting on the field. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Carter Graham. Yeah. They, that kid, I mean, special kid. Absolutely. Special. special. Um, His mentality. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Shout out to Carter Graham. Um, I do want to go back a little bit to the uh, preparedness, you know, for a series, you said that you guys do obviously a lot of scouting, you know, you said you're a numbers guy. I'm, I'm sure you have heat maps and all these things that you like to look at. Um, how much of that is shown to the players or you like to communicate that to the players saying like, okay, this is what we want to do. Like, this is what this team likes to do. Um, here's how we're going to attack it. Or is it more like, okay, we're going to use that information, you know, as the game is progressing, you know, while we're in the heat of it, you know, and, and really kind of like um, do like, sort of like a, a live read, you know, like you're just in the game sort of, yeah, I sort of say playing it, with it there. It, it's, I don't know, like how to quantify how much is shared with them, but I'll say this, it's certainly simplified. So okay. there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff that we see and trends or whatever the numbers start to tell you um, the things that you see that teams do, you know, we definitely will talk about, things that you know certain teams or coaches have done forever just because they have those tendencies but uh mm -hmm. whatever we do we try and really simplify it so that when they play it's not a lot of jumbled information in their head we, we gotta keep them um to have a clear mind to be able to kind of just flow in the game and, mm. and play and not not be uh, what is it uh paralysis by analysis type of stuff. Uh, 
Yes, that is something I've done in the past for sure. <laughs> I, think, I think everyone who's played baseball has, has uh, done that at some point. Yeah, probably. And if you haven't, then good for you. But um, I kind of want to take it even further back now to like, you know, you're talking about we're talking about players struggling or players uh, who aren't getting the playing time they deserve, um, specifically for like those newcomers coming in, you know, and they're struggling, uh, more particularly freshmen. Um, don't know if you struggled as a freshman, but, you know, for me, I, I didn't play my, my entire freshman year. I was hurt. I mean, oh, my gosh, not being able to play is one thing. Struggling is, is a whole nother thing. Um, if you could just talk about, like, how you like to kind of communicate to your players, like, how important it is to, like, not give up, not give in, not say, like, I don't like this situation. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm just going to hop in the portal or whatever. Yeah, I know that that's God, it's so much to be said about that. Um, just not giving up, not giving in. Shoot, that was we were six and thirty-five last year. And we learned a lot about not giving up and not giving in because there was a lot of situations that we could have given in. Um, gosh, we, we battled back in a lot of games and made a lot of games close, um, but still ended up losing. Um, and we had to bounce back and and shoot, it was I think it was fifteen games before we got our first win. So we were um, battling and battling, but I tell you what, our guys learned a very valuable lesson about not giving in and not giving up. Um, and it can be, it can be hard for a freshman. It can be hard for someone who's had success all their life. I mean, most everyone that's playing division one baseball was successful to some capacity before they got here. Mm -hmm. And so whatever, um, that was, everyone's going through, I mean, you hear it all the time. Well, I used to be able to do this in high school as I, I just used to do that. Well, it's a little bit different. Uh, <laughs> it's that saying pro ball, that, that guy gets paid too. that guy on the other side, man, he's, you know, in college, you're not getting paid. Well, I guess in NIL a little different, but you know, um, yeah. it's zero sum game, you know, that guy's trying to get you out and, and you know what you it's, it's all part of the learning process. Um, and if you can just get them to understand that you know that that's part of the journey and sometimes we have to go through that i mean mm. as a player I, I i felt like i sucked my freshman year i mean i just <laughs> just never felt like i was i just felt like i was never able to play to my capabilities and mm. i mean look back and i'm just like i was just like constantly getting beat and then as you get older and you get that experience eventually you become the older guy and uh you know, you figure it out, but it does take a little time sometimes. Um, for some other guys, sometimes it it doesn't take that time. But we do try and, you know, we challenge like we're talking about in our practices and the batting practices, like we're trying to challenge them to where it's not easy, to where mm -hmm. they're failing a lot, um, a lot more than you normally would in a BP. Uh, going back to Stanford, um, Braden Montgomery is a name that everyone's heard of now. Mm -hmm. and, he was big time talent coming out of Mississippi, switch hitter with power. You know, he's going through some drills and I remember him struggling in the fall with, with uh, some stuff. And, and I remember, you know, I'm out there feeding the machine and, and you could just see the body language. He was just dejected about, you know, his, he wasn't just leaving the yard on every pitch that he's like, he's mm. used to and he's getting beat. And I just remember telling him like, Hey, dude, you just got to do one thing for me. You, you just have to keep trying to figure this out. You just can't give up, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes with coaching, um, you have to kind of let them work through that and let them figure it out as opposed to just 
telling them what they should do, like, hey, just do this, and then if it doesn't work, okay, well, then it was it was on, you know, hmm. coach's fault, or like, you know, they have kind of that crutch, whereas like, hey, this is tough, it's challenging, you've got to figure it out. And and so if you kind of build that into practices, and, and credit to Braden that day, because I remember telling him, I, I also said, like, if you don't, like, if you're going to give up, like, just you can go home because you're not going to get anything out of it. But if you keep trying, man, you're going to eventually fight through this thing and you're going to come out the other side and you're going to be better for it. And yeah. so I think as a team, six and 35 last year, we learned a lot of lessons about um, getting knocked down and, and uh, just continuing to fight. So I hope we can carry that over into this year and uh, just play with that kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, uh, the younger players, you know, that might might be listening to this, the guys that uh, have succeeded kind of their whole life, they have the chance to go, you know, to a school like UC Davis and play Division One baseball. What's like, or at least just for your advice, just from you, like what would be, what would be like the the big thing that they probably should be working on outside of just like the skill development side of things, like getting better as like a player on the field strength that's probably <laughs> the number one thing for everyone okay getting stronger the physicality of the players when they're junior versus when they're a freshman even the guys that are strong mm. as freshmen it's a different kind of strength when you're a junior and you you've taken thousands and thousands of swings and swings with a heavy bat an underload bat and you're developing all those things um but when you put together Mm. the strength with the skill development with the experience of seeing more pitches i mean we talk about it like today just those older hitters like they've just seen more fastballs at 94 95 miles an hour than the freshman has they've just seen breaking balls that are better um Mm. the guys they when you're a freshman coming out of high school every high schooler is like yeah well I, i played I played perfect game PBR and I, I faced the guy that's 96, but it's like, yeah, that those guys that are upper eighties, low nineties, mid nineties, they're not necessarily all locating the way a mm. Friday, Saturday, Sunday guy is in college. Sure. Every pitcher in the big West on Friday night is going to have some pitchability. He's going to be able to locate mm. multiple pitches, most likely three. And so, that fastball might be 92 or might be 88 and you've seen 88 to 92 before, but have you seen the guy just locate it mm. uh, on the black three times in a row? Cause yeah. I know those guys in Santa Barbara can do that. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Guys in Santa Barbara definitely can do that. Um, so that's, you'd say that's probably the biggest adjustment than the strength side of it. The, just the physicality. I, I think that's that's probably the biggest thing. I mean, and, mm. and a lot of times the, the younger guys that are able to have success early on, they're more physical usually. Yeah, that makes sense. Aside from the physical or like the physicality side of it, um, not that I don't know how, how many times you go out to do recruiting, being a head coach now, but I'm sure you've done some in the past, you know, where that's like, you know, you're, you're out there more often. What are like some, some kind of... Uh, I don't want to say outliers, but maybe maybe things that just stand out to you, like aside from on the field type of stuff for like high school recruits. I mean, the way you carry yourself, the way you play the game, um, you know, do you run hard through the bag? 
one of the, our guys here learned pretty quickly, like, I don't have many things that really bug me, but one mm -hmm. thing that really bugs me is when a guy runs down to first base and he just steps over first base. Mm -hmm. I don't know if whatever reason I see that more and more in younger baseball where a guy grounds out to somewhere on the infield and he just runs, he just steps over the bag. Um, and it's out mm -hmm. of frustration a lot of times. Um, we actually had a guy do it this fall and uh, the throw was high. So it pulled the first baseman off the bag. So he jumped and our, our runner ran over the bag and then got tagged out, you know, oh, man. On, on the outfield side of first base because he didn't touch it. Jeez. It was like, dude, all you had to do is touch the bag, but you were frustrated. Yeah. And so, you know, things like that, um, it just shows a little bit of a mental weakness, um, hmm. which a lot of times is just immature. So I'm not going to necessarily like cross a guy off for it, but I, I will make a note of it. Um, things like that, not running out of pop up, uh, just how you treat your teammates. Um, I just, I like guys that play with energy. Um, mm. you know, we've all heard the term energy vampires and <laughs> you know, those guys that, yep. that just, so, I mean, it's, I think it's really good for a guy to play with a low heartbeat and not get, um, too overwhelmed by situations. But there's also mm. you want to be able to bring some energy to the table, and, and are you a guy that makes your teammates better because the way you play? Uh, growing up in SoCal, I follow the Angels, and I love Mike Trout, and that guy. I mm. watch that guy. I don't know if there's a player in the big leagues that plays with a smile on his face as much as that guy does. And I'm sure mm. it's easy to say when you're the best player in the world, but um, I just feel like you know if, if guys can can play that way, they're just not gonna they're going to be able to continue to move forward and get better because they're not going to um, just get down over every little thing. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes that kind of hinders your development when you get so emotional. Yeah. And it also kind of pours into the team too. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, is that, well, I don't want to say, is that your favorite type of player to recruit or like favorite type of player that you like to coach? But I guess that would be it, right? Is like the guy that's, like easy to coach in a way as well. Like, yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, you have those guys and just those guys are low maintenance. I mean, we've got a got a guy in our team that is he's gonna be a stud. He's just so unassuming. Um I know right now, like no one on our team or people don't think of him as a, as like the guy, but I'm telling you in a couple of years, he's gonna be someone we're talking about. But it's just he works hard. He goes about his business mm. the right way. He he doesn't. Uh, he's not flashy, but he he's he plays the game hard. He makes I don't know. He just he just does everything right. He's he's making good plays in the outfield and he runs hard all the time. He just makes everyone around him better. Mm. Have you noticed like a bit of a change since you started coaching at all with like how players like to be coached or like w what's the best way to like get through to a player? That's a good question. I don't, I don't know. I know everyone that talks about how players today are Different. more entitled and they're because, yeah. softer. And I don't know. It's just different. We grew up, I was talking to some of our guys today and talking about old coaches and yeah, everyone's seen the Augie Grito videos. And they're one of the guys who's like, <laughs> oh, he played for Augie. And I'm just like, I don't know. Coaches and, and Augie wasn't like that all the time. Augie was great and yeah. he was a player's coach. But like, I grew up in 80s and 90s, and I feel like just coaches were different. And yeah. I think when they get to our level, um, if guys are still playing at our level, they like the game. 
because with as much travel ball as there is out there and as much as guys are playing, if you don't like it, you're, you're going to be done playing before college because it is, it's a lot. And, uh, yeah. you know, we encountered that a little bit last year with a lot of guys that were on the team. Like some of those guys that just tried out that were, had come to school here just to go to school and then they made the team. Um, mm. You know, someone found out like, oh my gosh, this is pretty big commitment. You know, it's, <laughs> it, it is, it's not intramural sports. You, you've got to, yeah. you've got to put a lot of time into it. Um, and that doesn't guarantee you anything. Yeah, literally it, do it doesn't. No, it's so funny. Like you said, it's zero sum, but it's almost negative because you can put so much into it and, you know, you might still not make the opening day roster. Like, you know, that's, that's, that's just right. how it goes. But I tell you what, man, like you, you do all those things right. And I tell our guys like learn how to do things right way. You know, you're up at five 30 in the morning you get to weights at five 45 and, and uh, you're, you're building a lot of great habits and you're starting to do things. You're starting to grow up and, and those things are going to carry you mm. in whatever you do in life. So the gains you're getting out of it, even if it doesn't get you on the field and, and to the big leagues, if you want to be a big leaguer, um, it's, it's not, it's not for nothing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like you said, it's, it's more about in a sense, it's more about like kind of building the character that's going to like last you a lot longer than your playing career. Most likely. Yeah, that's right. Our playing careers are, are short. Oh Real man. Short. I've been told already. Like as soon as I got the pro ball, I was like, "All right." Like most of you don't have like don't have that much time left. And I'm like, "Okay, yeah, that's the reality. You got you got to figure out life after that. That's for sure." I tell you what, the day I got drafted back then, it was 50 rounds in the draft, and uh, I yeah, get drafted. that sounds nuts right now. And my dad was like, "There's 30 teams, 50 rounds." And my dad says, uh, "Like, all right, sweet, you got drafted, but uh, so 1,500 players get drafted." Well, he's like, "What do you think's happening on the other side?" And it's like, oh, thanks, man. Like, because that's yeah. what, you know, guys are coming in. But every year there's there's influx of players. But that means every year guys are getting released. Yeah. It's so you got to fight for your job from day one once you, you get drafted. Yeah. That is kind of the one thing I'd actually probably tell my listeners, like, that I probably never have said is, like, just the that pro ball is very different from college. Like, it is, it is a whole different ball game there. Like you said, it's a lot more team-oriented, you know, in college. Like, that is – that is the whole point. That's literally guys' jobs is relying on these kids to to win ball games. That is the whole deal. We won't go into that too much. You know, we don't have to. But um, I do kind of want to talk about some some new stuff that's coming to college baseball as of late. Maybe just your opinions on it. Not necessarily like you know how important it is to you guys or whatever. But I mean, like you talked about, we've got portal. You you've already talked about how you utilize that a little bit, and then you have nil. Like in terms of those two things, like how different has that changed the landscape of college baseball or how uh, yeah i guess how different uh do you think you know that'll that'll impact your program you know going into the future as far as nil i, I don't think it's um it's not hitting us as far as what we have to offer on the nil side of things now you know does that impact guys transferring and portal and stuff like that. I don't know. Time's going to tell. Um, yeah. I feel like baseball is always just a little bit behind football and basketball, not mm. necessarily following everything they do to the same level, but like to some degree, um, I know, gosh, I think our, I've heard basketball coaches talk about how they don't want any of their players to get any awards at the end of the season. Cause then 
there's a greater chance of someone coming and, you know, taking them out of the portal. Oh, wow. So it's like, everyone's trying to hide. Like, I don't want my guy to be all conference because that means that a power five school is going to come take them. So, you know, I, I, I hope we don't get to that point. Um, you know, I think all we can do, and I think if we build the culture that is a place where guys really want to be, um, and make it, you know, hard to leave, you know, like mm. that's all we can do. It, it's a great university. It's a great degree here at Davis. And there's a lot of unique degrees that guys can get. So I think, um, there's a lot of good reasons to stay here, but I mean, if NIL numbers get everyone, well, I said, everyone has a price. And so if they <laughs> get to a certain number for someone, I mean, everyone's price is different. Um, yeah. you know, I don't know. So I, I don't really know how it's going to change things. Uh, you can start to see it already a little bit. I mean, mm. man, to see some of those guys in the portal this year that have moved to different teams and some teams building some powerhouse yeah on the rosters it's 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 uh a different ball game for sure that is one of the kind of beautiful things about baseball though is that you can have such a talented team it's like you still gotta win ball games you know it's it doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna you know go 12 and 0 like the georgia bulldogs right like yep. it's not always the case now just to touch on the transfer portal thing too that's definitely changed the landscape of like how some teams you know go get their players and like it, it can completely changed the shape of your team do you have like an ideal like structure for your team in terms of like the mix between old guys young guys juco guys transfer portal guys and kind of how you you like to shape your team we have a general plan um i don't i think everything's always fluid based on where we're at and what we have what we need to replace um you know i hope we have some guys that have a chance to play and get drafted and if they're mm. getting drafted as juniors um, then you got to, you know, replace them a little sooner than you might have had to than the guy that stays for four years. Um, mm -hmm. Ideally, you know, from a standpoint of like trying to win, I, I think in college baseball, you want to be old. Um, mm. You look at some of those, especially mid-major teams that that uh, were good and made runs. I look at that Texas State team that took Stanford to the brink in that regional. They were old. Yeah. A lot of old players. And so... Um, it'd be nice to get old, but, you know, I think I like getting those guys as freshmen, being able to develop, develop them from a young age, get mm. them into our program. Um, some of the junior college guys that, that we have, we want to continue to get junior college guys. Um, mm. they, they've got, we, we got a really good group of, of Juco guys that I can't wait to see what they do this year. And, and mm. uh, you know, a lot of their journeys, a few of them have, you know, with the COVID stuff, uh, you know, they, they're a little bit older and um, some of those guys have bounced back from four-year schools back to JUCO and now they're here. And, you know, maybe they just weren't ready as freshmen. Mm. Uh, and so now they are as juniors. And I think it's a great route. And we're going to hopefully benefit from from those guys because I do think junior college is, is a great avenue for players to get to this level. Um, mm -hmm. and sometimes. Sometimes that junior college guy just has a little extra chip on his shoulder and wants to prove someone wrong. Oh, yeah, I know what it's like. Oh, my gosh. Some of those Juco kids are crazy. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so do you guys have any, um, like, team goals? Like, or do you have any, like, maybe personal goals that, that you're trying to set for the team this season? Or is it kind of like, all right, 
you know, we're not going to, we're not going to cap ourselves anywhere. We're, we're going for the gold, you know, like, yeah, we've talked about stuff. I mean, we were six and 35 last year, so mm -hmm. I think we want to win seven games. We'll start from there. <laughs> we, won, we won one series last year, so we want to win two series. And then I think we just kind of build from there. Um, yeah. I, I think, you know, Hey, we, we want to win the conference. We want to go to the regional, all that stuff, but it doesn't matter. I don't know. I've never been much of a goal setter. I mean, yeah. I think it's important to have a purpose and a plan um, and, and some direction for sure. But um, as far as like goals, like, like seven wins, win more than one series, <laughs> and we'll build from there. It's yeah. just a ladder. We, we definitely want to do a lot more than that, but um, we're just going to, you know, I think, I think really if we're, if, if there is a goal, mm. I would, I would say, I, I would like us to be focused on as many pitches each game as we can. And mm. if we do that, then we're going to have uh, more success or get to the things we want to get to. Uh, but it's more about something we can control. Those, mm. uh, sometimes the results are a little bit out of your control, but if we can control our focus and our, in our uh, effort um, yeah. close as close to hundred percent of the time as we can, I think then we're going to have more success. Interesting. I've, yeah. I would learn in Juco the, uh, the next pitch mentality, sort of like the uh, be where your feet are, you know, yeah. uh, I, I get that. I hear that. I, I think that's a, a viable lesson for a lot of players to honestly learn. Um, okay. Let's dive into you now. You know, I, I want to know if coaching was always uh, in the plans for you, once the playing days were done, did you always want to be a coach since we were, you were younger or what, what was that like? How did you always view coaching? I felt like from a young age, I, I always kind of wanted to coach. I, I always liked um, baseball and breaking it down and mm. loved talking hitting as I was coming up in college and in pro ball, um, you know, talking hitting with just your teammates. I felt like playing in pro ball, breaking down games after mm. uh, you know, playing on the East Coast, breaking down our game and watching the West Coast games as they get, they get started. It's just like, man, you're just learning so much baseball just by talking it. And yeah. uh, I think I did want to, but I, I, I you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't start too early. I think I, I got done playing in 05. And then my first year coaching was the fall of 08. So I'm just figuring mm. it out. Okay. So then if it wasn't going to be coaching, what were you going to do? Were you already doing something else, you know, was, besides after playing at least? It out. I was an internet poker player and, uh, <laughs> Oh, okay. Some real estate classes and, uh, you know, I was trying a few different things kind of didn't, didn't know, but then, Eventually, yeah. I was like, you know what? Like, let's give this coaching thing a shot. Um, hmm. I actually, so I started in Texas, but before that, so in the fall of 08, um, hmm. actually that summer, I connected with Tommy Boggs and uh, okay. he, he let me come on and help them in his travel program in uh, in Austin, the Slam. Hmm. And I was out for a little bit, but I was, I was in Vegas for quite a bit that summer, so I missed a lot, but... Um, oh, wow. Uh, I was actually going to go coach at St. Edwards in Austin and volunteer over there. And so I was there for a week and literally one week into it, the head coach, Rob Penders, who was coaching at Texas when I was a player, he was a head coach over there. 
he uh, he said he got a call from Coach Harmon at Texas, and and he uh, said their volunteer left and there was an opening. And so I moved over there one week into it. Otherwise, I was going <laughs> to, you know, be there. So um, wow. and actually, even that fall, so I, I had started to get into it, and I reached out to a guy named Roland Heeman from uh, my White Sox days, and he got me. Uh, connected with the MLB Envoy program, and I went over to China to uh, help out at their academy over there. They were just getting it started. It was like the second year of that program. It was about a month long in uh, October, September, October, and so I missed a lot of the fall that first year at Texas, but I was there for, I was actually there for most of it. I was back in mid-October. Interesting. Okay, so what do you, uh, all right, now I have to ask, um, if you go back in time, what are you going to tell you know, uh, your first year coach self, you know, what, what piece of advice are you going to give yourself to like, you know, help you along the way, at least in those early days? Just be a sponge, learn as much as you can talk to, mm. talk to other coaches as much as you can. Um, I don't know. They didn't have them back in the day, but, um, listen, well, maybe they did, but I didn't find out about them until later it was the, the podcast. Uh, ABCA videos from the convention mm. type stuff, things like that. But just mm -hmm. talking, talking baseball with people um, mm. and learning recruiting. That was a big thing um, early on because as a volunteer, you're just coaching and then you got to learn to evaluate players, but then, mm. you know, talk to players and talk to families and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, just, just getting out there and, and creating a network for yourself Um and working working camps it was is a good way to get connected and, and build a network with other coaches. I feel like there's a lot of guys that I met that you know we were all volunteers and we're working the showcase camps that are out there that you know we could mm -hmm. do because you know we couldn't be out recruiting. Um, but yeah, that was probably the thing. Probably just talk to as many coaches as you can and, and just try and learn as much as you can and mm -hmm. uh, understand. Just be be an open book, have an open mind. Um, there's, there's a lot of ways to do things. I mean, as a player, uh, playing for coach Garrido and then starting to coach under coach Garrido, mm. I had, that was the one way I knew how to play. And my coach in Southern California, Mike Kern, uh, we were 10 minutes from Cal State Fullerton where all the schools down there was, they were all playing the way Cal State Fullerton played and, mm -hmm. and, uh, coach Garrido would do the camp. So it was kind of had a lot of that background um that was a lot of what shaped um my baseball hmm. background but then you know coaching getting the opportunity from reggie christensen to go to sac state and coach under him you learn you know a lot of the ways he learned to do things and the way he does things and he also gave me uh, a lot of responsibility and i think that given a lot of that responsibility allowed me to to learn and try things and fail and uh, continue mm. to learn from my own mistakes. Um, and then Coach Esker at Stanford, he has a different way that he does things. So mm. you start to learn learn from different people, uh, different things, and, and there's more than just those guys, but that's why you, know, you listen and talk to other coaches and you hear things and um, it kind of shapes who you are. And eventually, you know, you kind of make your own, put, it, put your own stamp on things and yeah. in your own philosophies. Hmm. All right. Now I want to ask about UC Davis just as a whole, not necessarily the baseball program, but is there anything about UC Davis that you particularly like besides, you know, I know that your family's there and stuff, but maybe something about like the school or the campus that like people wouldn't know about. 
Um, I, I love the campus. I love how everyone bikes everywhere. You got to keep your head on a swivel or you might get hit. Huh. Every, time, every time I walk from the parking lot to the, to the field, you walk yeah. across, if you have your head down, you better watch out. There's, there's bikes coming, but yeah, now I have a, hmm. have a little electric bike that I can scoot around on, on campus. And I like that. Um, I like how close the, the coaches are here. I feel like, hmm. um, RAD does a good job of bringing the coaches together and, and, uh, having kind of a camaraderie, um, among the coaches. I love being able, our basketball stadium is right, right behind our outfield the right field side of our outfield. And, going over to watch some of those games um living close by i live in davis and so davis is a really yeah. small town and um i've actually had a chance to ride my bike to work a few times it's you know not too far away and i love that aspect and mm. uh, yeah being able to to do those things and yeah i think davis is a really unique unique place it's a college town um and a small town in california which is different from a lot of california towns like most mm -hmm. of California's bigger cities and suburban neighborhoods and metropolitan areas. And, and so there's a lot of people everywhere and this is more open and everything revolves around UC Davis. And so yeah. uh, it's been a really cool community that just, just revolves around, around Davis. We're even, you know, we're surrounded by a lot of farmland and, and, uh, you know, the surrounding cities, Sacramento, Winters, Dixon, Woodland mm -hmm. is, uh, it's a 15, 20 minute drive to each of those. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, how about the program uh, specifically? Is there like, what, what's your favorite thing about the program, at least like since coming on that, that you've taken like just some appreciation for that um, maybe just the common baseball fan doesn't like know too much about or, or, or wouldn't even think about, you know, when it comes to UC Davis's baseball program. I mean, this, this is probably a little more personal, but it's the coaching staff and the people that I work with every day. I mean, that for hmm. me is the the probably the the thing that I enjoy most. I love coming to work. Hmm. I think our assistant coaches do a great job, and we we work together, but we challenge each other um, and challenge hmm. the players, and um, we have a lot of good baseball discussions among us. Um, but yeah, I mean, our guys are, are, uh, we don't have the best facilities. We're working on improving a lot of things. And I think we're on track to doing a lot of things and improving a lot of stuff around here to make, make our facility even better. But, uh, I know, I know our guys take a lot of pride in what we do have. Um, mm. you know, we've got a nice new batting cage. That's only a couple of years old and we've got, five tunnels in there and we can get a ton of work done in there. So it was raining. It rained about three weeks in a row from the end of December through the first week and a half of January. And yeah. we had that cage and we're able to get plenty of work in. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We have a unique field. We, we have, uh, a very big, I'm sorry. I'm looking out at our field. I'm in the press box. So I, yeah, I yeah. field. um, it's, like 310 down the lines, but then it shoots out and it's 385 in the gaps and 410 to center. It gets big hmm. fast to the middle of the field. So yeah. um, you can hit homers here, but you got to be down the lines. Um, but man, if you if you hit in the gaps here, like and you can run, like you can hit a lot of triples here, mm. which is kind of how they designed it. Actually, I will say probably the thing that the average fan doesn't know about our stadium and is a pretty cool fact is that. It was built 
by one of the old head coaches here, Phil Swimley. He built this stadium, and it was built with 100 volunteers. Oh, wow. It literally built the stadium. So that, that's kind of a cool <laughs> thing. Um, it wasn't just some funded project where they yeah. poured a bunch of money into it and did it. It's a, it's a cool stadium. Wow. I did. Yeah. I've never been up to Davis, but, you know, it, it does sound like it's a little bit of like a hidden gem, you know, in it a really way. Is. Yep. Yeah. I, I like that too. I juxtapose like the big cities with the, with the college town. Uh, because, like you said, in California, you just don't, there's no college towns. There are no college towns. Davis is the only one, rare. it sounds like. Yeah. It's rare. That's best of both worlds, at least for me. I'm biased as well. California guy. That's just how it is. But well, we're, I mean, we're situated nice because we're just over an hour away from the coast. Like in San Francisco, we went to that beach trip and it took mm -hmm. us hour 15 to get there. And, you know, you're two hours away from Tahoe and there's snow in the mountains right now. A lot of our guys fortunately didn't get hurt, but we're snowboarding <laughs> and skiing over the holidays. But yeah, uh, dude, it's, I mean, it's, I. I, I could ask about the, the winter. Yeah, I don't want to ask about the winter because I know that's a stressful time for you guys. You know, I probably asked Zach about it already, but um, I think the last question I have for you is just about recruiting, you know, just like a recruiting trip or a visit that you might have that's, you know, could have been a train wreck. It could have been a huge success story. It can be uh, just like a weird thing that happened, uh, something like something that taught you like a really valuable lesson, you know, just along the way that you, like you might look back and you're like, wow, I can't believe that happened. I mean, cause obviously you, you know, coaches, you guys do, do so much on the recruiting side in terms of just like the places you have to go. I mean, you know, cause you guys always, you know, that, that's your job, like getting the players. So if you have like a, like a, a memorable recruiting trip or visit that you could, that you could kind of share. Visit. I remember going into, uh, God, it must have been McAllen Airport. Skip Johnson and I flew into uh, South Texas to do a home visit with Tress Barrera, hmm. um, kind of right before the draft after our season and just talk to him about, you know, the, the pros and cons of, you know, college baseball and major league baseball. And, um, you know, we obviously wanted him, but we want the best for him. So if it's if the situation's right and he wants to sign, like, you know, we're, we're behind that, but also we want to let him know, like, you know, how much we wanted him at Texas and he was going to be able to develop and stuff like that. Um, just going there and being with his family was pretty cool. I'd never been down to that part of Texas. It was literally like um, the southern tip of Texas, like pretty close to Mexico. Oh, uh, wow. had Mexican food. Uh, but, I mean, just as far as, like, out on the road recruiting – one thing I will say about being at Davis, not having to go to Georgia and be watching games at eight in the morning. And mm. I remember, uh, gosh, seeing what having to watch some players and you, you get those rain delays, those lightning delays and going to eat dinner and come back to the ballpark, watching a game that's like starting guys are taking infield at 1230 at night. And you're closing down the place at two thirty in the morning, and you've got an eight o'clock game that you want to watch a guy, and you're just like, "Man, am I going to get up for that?" But something <laughs> like that, I definitely don't miss. Um, yeah, you know, I don't think the California recruiting in Irvine, you don't you don't get that. There's a lot of good stuff going on in Irvine and in mm. Arizona. You know, you have some early starts, but you don't battle the the rain delays as much over there. Yeah, so, you know, I will, I guess, ask one last question about that. Um, 
like how, how easy is it for players to get to you nowadays? I mean, with like Twitter and like the fact that they can just email you video with numbers and stuff like that, like in your experience, at least like, has that, has that been like something you use or, you know, something where like, if a player is good enough, like they send you the video, like you, you're probably going to see it. And like, it's, it's going to work out like yeah, if it should, you know? Yeah. Good players. They come from everywhere and you gotta, you gotta, turn over every stone and rock and um, do, your, do your homework on guys because they can come from anywhere. Um, it's probably a little like sales where, you know, most of it's not going to work out you know, X percent of the time, which is more of the time. But uh, mm. you find those guys that it's like, man, that's a fit. That's a guy we like. He checks a lot of boxes. And then you just continue to go down that recruiting path. Um, but yeah, man, like if they, they come out of the blue and send you video, um, you're just like, man, this guy, man, where was he? And no one's seen him. He's playing other sports. So he's not on the travel circuit. Hey, go, go find out about him. You know, you might, you might find the guy that is the next centerpiece of your, your recruiting class. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, that's gotta be exciting too. Like just again, finding like hidden gems or something like that. Like guys that might not be well-known uh god i don't know why i want to ask this but okay this is actually the last thing i'll ask because you said you wanted you said you were in online poker for a little bit of time and you you maybe dabbled in that that arena um is there anything like you've actually learned from that because it's a very hard game i mean I, you know i've played cards and stuff too plenty of times i love it and it's great i love watching videos on it and stuff too like that is there anything you like you've learned from that where you're like, okay, this can actually apply to sports here in a way, like maybe the mental kind of side of it too. There's um, a ton. Yeah. There's so ton like, is there any of games. that that you apply to like coaching your players? Absolutely. Um, I don't know if other people would see it the same way, but like there's so many lessons in poker you learn um, just emotional um control is really mm. important in poker and baseball yeah. there's so much uh they always say failure but there's so much disappointment there's so much to learn um you know uh discipline in poker is huge bankroll discipline it's you know you don't have that in baseball but like just being disciplined um is really important but, but one of the things that, that i always felt um that i that always felt was something in poker when I was coming up and I was learning there's a group of friends I had and people that I met playing poker that like we would collaborate on hands where you know you're just like giving a hand history of what happened and you start like everyone's like kind of giving their feedback on how to play a certain hand and one mm -hmm. of the things I learned was um there's not necessarily always a right or wrong way to play a hand and so one of the things because you're dealing with a, uh, a game that you're making decisions with imperfect information, which is exactly what you're doing in baseball a lot of times, especially on the managing side of it. So mm. you're, you're just making the best decisions you can with the information at hand. Mm. And so the one thing I learned was like, if you can defend your position of why this is a solid play, mm. um, sure, go for it. And if a player is doing something or he's trying something out or he wants to do something, well, you know, we'll have a discussion. If you can defend your position on why, then we'll have a good discussion on why maybe it is or isn't the right decision or, you know, mm. or it could be. And, and 
in one scenario and it may not be in another scenario, but um, like, I don't know, so many friends always ask me like about a hand, when I, especially when I was playing the poker, like, how would you play this? And I was like, mm. it depends. Like the answer was like, yeah, always yeah. Depends. you've got to give me more information. It's not just, hey, these are my whole cards and that's on the board. Like what happened? How did, you know, and the same thing in baseball. Well, how's the flow of the game going? What has happened to this point? What's mm. the matchup? There's so much analytical stuff that you do. And um, yeah, so there's, there's definitely a lot in poker that I think crosses over and it. Just the, the mental state is probably the biggest thing being able mm -hmm. to have emotional control. Yeah. That's why I always play straight up. I stay within my ranges, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not a backwards type of guy. It's, it can get real difficult out there, but again, oh, yeah. like you're saying, sometimes it calls for, you know, you got to work on the fly and uh, yeah, that's I right. love that. I love hearing that too. I, I've always found the same connection and I think that's why I liked it so much. Honestly, like it, it's such a fun game to play, but that's awesome. Um, I mean, Tommy, that's all I have for you right now. I mean, in terms of just like the stuff that I've prepared, I feel like we could go forever about talking about anything, but I don't want to take too much of your time. I think that that was awesome. You know, you, you coming on, I, I really appreciate it. Um, I think that's it on from me, you know, and yeah, I'll, I'll just say thank you, you know, for coming on. That's, that's really all I have for you. Awesome. Well, that's great. I appreciate you having me and uh, good luck to you this season. You, thank you're you. Leaving for spring training pretty soon yeah i'm leaving in what is it 12 days now so i'm leaving yep i'm leaving in 12 days i'm gonna get there a little early which you know that's ideal you want to get um yep. you know you get your feet wet in there and you know get all situated but yeah so it, it's coming right. up it's coming up it's exciting good luck thank you luck. i appreciate that very much and you know i'll talk to you right after we sign off but yeah that is going to do it for this week's episode of player to prospect and we will see you next week